Let's let's talk a little bit more about the original though before we describe much more about the 2012 version. Okay. You saw Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger as well recently. So tell me about it. What I did. was the the major differences besides the entire cast and the campiness of the original film? Well, I mean, um, you know, Carl, Colin Farrell he can act, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, no, nah, he can't. Uh, that's it in a nutshell. No, <laughs> <laughs> no really. This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes we even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell, of Movieology Fame. How are you, Joseph? Hi, I'm doing good, TJ. How are you? Doing well, doing well. <clears throat> Dealing with uh, a few issues on the Movie Bite site again in the back end, but uh, hopefully we'll get that sorted out by tomorrow morning so I can post some more stuff. Hmm. Okay, yeah. so like you're just trying to get some posts up and it's not working for you on the code side of things? Yeah, there were some changes made to the server configuration and it broke some things, but uh, uh, Jacob told me they'll be up and running shortly. So hmm. uh, so the anyway. website is up right now, right? Oh, the website the website is up. The, the stuff that I'm talking about is on the back end, so that's a little frustrating, but yeah, doing well o- overall. Mm, okay. So I'm really impressed by just how much content we've been able to crank out every day. We're keeping up pretty good. Yeah, it's, my, it's sort of my goal in the back of my mind to keep it up with um, about six new posts every day. And I mean, it's not like I have much control over that because I don't usually have time to post more than one a day. But um, I'm glad to see it's keeping up. Yeah, the goal was to have at least six uh, length list items a day. And then, you know, when we when we can or when there's new movies or when there's an article to write or a review to write, sure, we'll put those up. But certainly to aggregate at least six items a day in, in the length list. So we'll see. We'll see how easy that is to keep up with. But uh, and yeah. I see that you posted a uh, fairly fairly decent review of Total Recall. You think you got it was, some comments on here too? You think it was fairly decent? Yeah, I read it. Okay, I enjoyed it. Good, good. From from end to end. Yeah, our friend uh, Corey has been interacting a little bit uh, in the comments there. So. Mm. Well, yeah, um, comments are available on any given post, people. So check them out and. Relate to us, discuss with us. Yeah, yeah, we we would enjoy to have a, a little bit of interaction there. So, have we ever mentioned when we record this show? We usually record on Tuesdays, Tuesday nights, and we get it up what usually Wednesday afternoons. Sometime Wednesday afternoon is my my goal is for you know turnaround to be the next day. So yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned that before or not. No, I think though some people would like to know. It's yeah. good to know. So we try to we try to post it pretty quickly after we record so that it's fresh. Yeah, in my in my personal review process, I prefer to see the movie opening weekend and or if it's a if it's a movie like a classic film, watch it the weekend before we do the recording. Mm-hmm. So, give myself a few days to chew on it, regurgitate, you know, regurgitate. What am I saying? I'm not sure what you're saying, Joseph. Give myself a few days to consider the pros and cons and determine my opinion and whether or not the film is worth watching. Yeah. Okay. That works. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of people are like that. I don't find that my opinion changes a lot over time. Um, it, it has, and it can, but most of the time the opinion I form in the theater and I do think through things more fully, but the general initial opinion that I form in the theater typically sticks with me. Um, so, you know, and, and I have, I mean, there have been a, certainly occasions even where I've, I've, 
kept the same opinion, but then gone back and watched the film on, uh, you know, DVD or something, and have been like, oh, what, I, what was it that I liked about this film? I, I don't remember, but it's, it's, well, it's harder to review a film because while you're watching it, it's more like a job. You know, you're, you're conscientious of does this work for all audiences? Is this objectively good or is it just me? And it's something like my personal opinion is really uh, taking sway over what I'm you know, experiencing watching this film. Um, yeah, I can see how that can happen. I, I kind of determined, at least with my reviews, um, that I, I wouldn't I didn't want that to happen too much. Like I don't want to become overly analytical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want I want to sit back and enjoy the film for what it is, and I want to offer my opinion on the film. And 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 then sure we'll consider kind of how how the film works for other people. But um, I definitely want to offer my my take and perspective and opinion on the film. So I try not to let that overwhelm the review process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to be over analytical, but you know, there's good reason sometimes to step back and try to put yourself in another person's perspective, and that's where I get a little a little analytical because I have some friends that are very um, very sharp, very bright, and when they review films or when they just watch them for their own personal pleasure, they come away with all these observations that I would never think about because I'm I'm generally the kind of viewer that likes to live in the moment and and, and you know. I, I put my suspension of disbelief very high. I, I usually swallow hook, line, and sinker anything. And, sure. Uh, and then, but then my friends will point out, well, you know, that's a, a complete impossibility, even for the genre. And so, <laughs> you know, no, you know, Peter Parker, Spider-Man should not have Spider-Man, I mean, sorry, uh, Spider-Webs shooting out of his wrists. Why? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's where I get irritated with people over the Spider-Man thing anyway. It's like, come on. It, it, you know what? It's just a, it, it's a spider. The whole thing's impossible. <laughs> so, so you're okay with a... Uh, Spider webs out of the wrist. I thought it was. I thought it was better than the comics. Yes, I. I was way okay with that. I was. I was a teenager when the movie came out, and when I saw it, for whatever reason in my adolescent mind, it made more sense than the idea that he should have, you know, mechanical, you know, fluid tanks of, you know, uh, stuff attached to his wrist that he would shoot out. <laughs> but, but now in hindsight, I think, no, that's stupid. There's, yeah, no, see that makes a biological improbability and it just doesn't make any sense. It yeah. works for different ages, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think the whole idea that Spider-Man carries around some cartridge or something that shoots out, uh, webs is just ridiculous. And, and it makes more it sense clumsy, to me, isn't it? If, if you're already going to convert the guy into a superhero with superpowers where he can, he, he has spider powers, Go ahead and go all the way. I, I don't get it. Like, like, why would you? You're already in the unbelievable realm of what he can't, of what's not really possible by making the guy being bit with a radioactive spider. Just go all the way. Yeah, yeah, that's my opinion. But you know, I, I get, I get a lot of people telling me, you know, they, they flame me for it. They're like, you're, you're not a real Spider-Man fanboy, and, I, and I'm not. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. I. Yeah, we should mention we're not really into comic books. We just enjoy superhero fi- hero films when they're actually good and worth watching. Precisely. Yep. Oh, well, we are way off track on the outline, so you want to dive right into yeah, the Yeah, we, sh- we should get back to the outline. Um, the first thing we have uh, here, I posted about this uh, last week, was the Brady Bunch reboot. And uh, I think my exact comments were uh, 
something along the lines of uh, here. In fact, I'll just I'll just look it up because <laughs> my comments yeah. were pretty, pretty you, disparaging. You, this sounds like yeah. such a bad idea on so many levels. I can well, only here, imagine. Let me, <laughs> Go ahead. Let me let me read the quote in your posting about the Brady Bunch reboot. Okay. The, the story of a man named Brady and his irritatingly chipper blended family is as much a part of the '70s pop culture as shag rugs and free love, but maybe more. Neither of those dated phenomena lived on to be popular consciousness, consciousness uh, tenaciously and exhaustively as the Brady Bunch. The series already enjoyed five seasons and an afterlife in syndication, many lesser spinoffs, and the true marker of any Hollywood institution, an e-true Hollywood story. Um, so who really thinks we need a Brady Bunch reboot? Uh, Vince Vaughn, that's who. So the com- the comedian, he's got a new movie out right now. He's in with, um, oh, what's the his name? The other comedian. Anyway, he's in movies right now. He's an actor, and apparently he's also a producer now. So they're going to be rebooting this, what, as a TV show? That was my understanding. I uh, when I post, I read the article before I posted it, of course, and I'm, it's already fading into the distance a little bit. But it seemed like the idea was that one of the kids uh, was going to be about his... his uh, his life now and he's been divorced and remarried and they have of course in true Brady Bunch style a blended family and and uh, I, oh, I just can't tell you how bad of an idea this seems like to me right okay yeah and Vince Vaughn is not in the show it's just a uh, he's executive produ- producer right and it will be a television series apparently um, but yeah continuation of the story yeah, I, I, uh, my, my exact comment on the site was, it sounds like such a bad idea on so many levels. I can only imagine how bad a modern-day rendition of the Brady Bunch with today's family values would be. I just, I have no interest in a show like this. Yeah, and they're going to have to introduce so many new characters that it's really sort of a disassociation to the original series. Like, if you liked the Brady Bunch originally, um, I'll be curious to know whether the same audience enjoys this series because they're going to have to introduce Bobby Brady's uh, new kids. It's about Bobby Brady after he grew up. He was the central character um, of the original series, but he was just a boy. And now that he's an adult and it's about him as an adult, what are, you know, who's his wife? Um, Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I enjoy a series like that where they pick up a thread and kind of, it's not really the same show, but they've picked up a thread from it and a spinoff. But I just, this just, this just sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't want so to beat it to death, but it just, ugh, not interested. No, thank you. Well, that's why we don't talk much about television, though, isn't it? Mm, I guess. I mean, there's plenty of television I'd love to talk about. Maybe we will someday. Oh, yeah? But, okay. uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, when the day comes, there's absolutely nothing going on in theaters. We'll talk about television. No, I, I want to talk about some television at some point. We do have plenty of movies to talk about. I mean, I want to talk about, uh, I'd love to dive in and talk about why a great series like Alcatraz only got 13 episodes and was canceled. Uh, it looked like it was going to be such a great series, great concept, um, and just, you know, loved that show. And it was just so irritating. They left it sort of hanging, too, and in the, in the, they just got canceled unceremoniously. Hmm. Um, What's, what network was it on? It was on Fox. I, oh, okay. I, yeah, it was on it Fox. It is odd, then. Yeah, let me, let me, let me verify. it was Abrams, huh? Let me verify that. <clears throat> well, I mean the the ratings uh, weren't that great for some reason. I don't I don't understand what was driving that. Yeah, Fox Alcatraz is on Fox, as is Fringe. So, 
Perhaps people got the wrong idea about the series. Perhaps. Mm. Did you All watch right. any of it? Uh, no, but now that you mentioned it, I, I do recall I have it on my queue. I really want to see anything that comes through the pipe of J.J. Um, Abrams. Yeah, uh, he's just, good. Uh, yeah, I think... I mean, obviously, I, Fringe. I mean, you know, <laughs> such a well, great show. Even when I don't like his uh, films, I still find them very interesting. They're, yes. they're ver- very culturally re- relevant. Yep. All right, well, we have once again strayed from the outline, so... Yes, okay, so... Tell us about Vertigo. Story. Vertigo. Okay, this is a classic Alfred Hitchcock film. Well, Vertigo was just labeled as the critics' choice of Sight and Sound's survey as the best movie of all time. Now, the reason that this is newsworthy is because Vertigo it has been around since 1958, and only now it is being labeled as the best movie of all time. And do you know what film preceded Vertigo as the best movie of all time? I do. Yes, Citizen, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. The, now, the thing about <clears throat> Citizen Kane was that it was by a young director. It was his first film, Orson Welles. And Orson did some very good films, but none of them have the notoriety of Citizen Kane. But by today's standards, it's kind of hard to connect to. It's, um, it's very old school in many senses. And it's a much older film than Vertigo, where Vertigo, though, still works for mod- modern audiences. And so people are thinking that the reason that Vertigo has stood the t- test of time uh, is because it was on the edge of the 60s. And it has some great actor, actors uh, that were um, experienced. Whereas the reason that Citizen Kane is thought of as not working as well by today's standards is because it's a uh, older nature. It just feels like a more dated film. Mm-hmm. It's very char- characteristic of its time. Or, well, maybe I should clarify. Citizen Kane is a great film. In terms of cinematography, it was groundbreaking. Storytelling style, very revolutionary for its time. But by today's standards, it's hard to relate to. And uh, because of its uh, dark political nature and because it had an all very uh, raw cast of um, actors, actors in the film had no experience, it is supposed that Vertigo works better. It has a mostly very talented cast, Jimmy Stewart especially, in the uh, main lead role. And uh, they were just gifted actors. They did a great performance. And Vertigo is still relatable by today's standards. Modern audi- audiences still appreciate it. And it's, uh, st- in its studies in uh, universities, people really enjoy it. Um, so it seems like uh, modern critics just uh, slowly but surely over the last 20 years gravitated towards Vertigo and it's toppled Citizen Kane. I, I really enjoy the film. I I just still find it kind of odd to imagine that Vertigo is the best movie of all time. And so that's what a lot of critics are saying. They're saying it's a great film, but a lot of critics don't even believe it's Alfred Hitchcock's best film. And Alfred Hitchcock is known for some great, great movies, suspense, thrillers, but no one really considers his work to be, you know, best of all time worthy. Um, But yeah, you you and I need to talk about Vertigo here in a couple of weeks. We need to dive headlong okay. into that how well, we review it together since you wrote that article i put it on my list of movies which i i keep a running list i i i know there's movies i need to watch and i haven't gotten around to it so it's on my list of movies to watch 
Um, it's interesting. I was looking up uh, what Roger Ebert considers the best movies of all time, and uh, it doesn't. He doesn't give an ordered list. He just gives uh, these are the ones. Um, it doesn't look like they're necess- It doesn't. I don't think they're in the order that he would put them in necessarily. But Citizen Kane and Vertigo are both on his list, so um, those are both on my list to watch. So how long was his list? Was it twenty? No, this 30? was his. Uh, let's see, greatest films of all times. I think it's top ten. I think is what this is. Perhaps. Huh. Where did he put them in the order? Well, let's see. Here's here's what we have here. Um, help me pronounce A G U I R R E. Aguirre? I guess it's Aguirre. Wrath of God, Apocalypse Now, Citizen Kane, Decalogue, La La Dulce Vita, The General, Raging Bull, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Tokyo Story, and Vertigo. You know, I bet you that is the order in which he means for them to be ranked. It's possible, yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, 2001 A Space Odyssey is actually on my list to watch. I tried to watch it once, and I was so bored out of my mind that uh, I I just, I I couldn't do it. But one of these days when I'm really tired or something, or something where I can sit down and actually watch it, it just took so long to get from Act 1 to Act 2 that I I felt like I was going to go insane, so... (laughs) Uh, I don't, it's interesting. I feel kind of bad. I don't see anything else on this list that I recognize other than Vertigo and Citizen Kane. Yeah. Well, they, just because they're highly critically acclaimed, doesn't mean that they would appeal to general audiences. Right. That's certainly the case with a lot of these. Um, for instance, the general is a fun comedy, but only if you're willing to, uh, only if you're, interested in watching a movie that's not only black and white, but also considered a silent picture. Mm. That's asking of a lot for most audiences these days. So if you've seen the general, it was probably through some sort of like film appreciation class. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So the next story uh, is uh, Hulu is getting to be on the Apple TV. And this is very good for a lot of people that, like Apple products and they use Apple products um, across the board. I use iPhones, iPads, uh, iMacs, and Apple TV. So I was excited to hear that Hulu came to Apple TV, and I know you were too, right? Yeah, I don't actually have an Apple TV right now. I'm probably going to get one at some point. Um, But I I was excited to learn this, although it looks like it comes with some caveats, and I thought you had a great take on on this. Um, And I I posted a little something last week about – um, digital content and uh, how the <laughs> I felt like the um, content providers were really going astray, and I think you're this is a great follow up on that same premise. Yeah, the main problem here is is that while you're getting Hulu on Apple TV, and it's certainly a motivator to get the Apple TV if you haven't already got it. The problem with Hulu on the Apple TV is one is restricted to the paid service called Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus Online gives you a bunch of features that the free access to various TV shows does not. And it makes sense. You know, I like that the audience gets to pitch in some so that there's less advertising. And uh, so you get a better experience. If Hulu Plus was solely a free means of getting video content, then there would be like three times as many commercials added to the streaming videos. But because they limit the number of commercials, they charge, uh, they charge the viewers. But however, the problem here is on Apple TV, they don't get as much content on an Apple TV using your Hulu 
Plus membership as you would online if you were viewing it on a Mac or a PC. Right. And it's it's very arbitrary. It's the assumption that um, devices like Apple TV, there are others like the Roku and uh, even video game consoles that can play Hulu uh, content. The assumption goes that they those um, devices will attract a large audience away from broadcast uh, networks. It'll take people away from the cable and the satellite. And the advertisers are discouraging this because they perceive that their ads will get in front of fewer numbers. And so they are um, inhibiting uh, Hulu from presenting as much content as, as it should be on Apple TV. The problem here is Hulu still calls the service on Apple TV Hulu Plus when it's less than the same uh, service that you would get online. Right, and I think the reason they're doing that is because you can't you you can't access Hulu on your Apple TV unless you're a paying paid subscriber to the Hulu Plus service. Yeah. And and so I understand that, but I what and and I don't think this is Hulu's fault per se. As you say, it's the content providers and the and the advertisers. Here, here's what I don't get. This is, and this is why I don't, I no longer subscribe to Hulu Plus at this time. Um, well, for one thing, we just don't have any shows on right now that um, are are being serviced properly through Hulu Plus. Um, but, but, okay. So I'm paying for the the privilege of being able to watch these shows the day after they air instead of waiting a week, and I'm still watching advertisements and still watching. Um, the same amount of advertisements because I was a I'm, I was a free uh, user of Hulu Plus for a long time and when I went to Hulu Plus not uh, let me rephrase that I was a free user of Hulu <laughs> then I went to Hulu Plus and it was the same amount of advertisements like there isn't any less advertisements it's the same amount you just you just get the privilege of watching this show mm. uh, a week sooner like the day after it airs right and so that was really frustrating to me um, and it, it just it, it feels messy and dirty but the other thing that aggravates me even hulu plus customers don't get full access to the full back catalog for instance of a, of a tv show the, yeah. the the providers decide when you can have access to it and sometimes they'll do runs where you can have access to it on hulu again it makes no sense to me why would the why would because you are monetizing this with advertising okay when you watch a hulu tv show it's being monetized with advertising why would they not want more content to be available to be monetized i don't yeah. get it it is very strange, and I think that it's going to be a mistake that another generation that comes along and takes control of the studio networks is going to remedy. I hope it's, you're. I, I hope you're right. But come I, along and straighten this out. I think we've got a long road to go. Here's here's the problem that I see. I, I don't think I think in fifty years all the current. I mean, it's possible that one of them would get bought. Uh, one of the current content providers will get bought and look completely different. I don't think that the landscape of TV is going to be anything like what it is now in 50 years. I think even possibly a couple of the big players will be gone. because yeah, probably. And because they're refusing to change with the times. Look at, we're both, you and I are both Apple fans, so this is a great example. Look at Apple. They almost did this. They almost went into obsolescence, but they were able, by bringing Steve Jobs in and by buying Next, they were able to turn it around and say, how can we change with the market to be relevant? Yeah. And this is what the TV providers and, and the content providers, not just TV, but movie providers, this is what the studios need to do. And they're not doing it. They're fighting the new model instead of embracing it. And this is a recipe for disaster. 
That's right. So, so a little rant there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel better? <laughs> I, feel, I feel much better now. It's off my chest. It, it really doesn't make any sense. It, you've got the old guard. It just they're just yeah they're just stuck in their ways and they don't know any better way. So, well, you know, I I know a better way in a perfect world. Um, I think that I've actually been watching how much I watch in a monthly uh, basis. You know, what are my averages? Mm-hmm. How, how often do I get around to watching TV shows and, and watching movies? And it's almost got to the point that my average intake of media at home um, would be my, my money would be better spent on rentals on iTunes than with Netflix or Hulu. And the reason I say I would prefer iTunes over Hulu or Netflix or ever even broach the idea is that with iTunes, there's no commercials whatsoever. Yep. And it, and in many cases, you can take your pick between HD or SD. Mm-hmm. And that and the reason you would pick HD is assuming you want better quality, and but it's going to cost you an extra buck or two. And then if you're going you're to get the SD standard, then it means that you can download it much faster and get to it right now. If you yeah. have a very limited window of time, you can watch the media. But in either case, you don't have commercials whatsoever. Uh, Netflix is great, but a lot of the content is dated and it's been around on television for quite some time. So if you have been out of the loop of uh, broadcast television, then it's, it's one thing. You know, it's, kinda, it's kind of a nice service. But once you catch up with everything on Netflix, then really there's nothing there to be had except a bunch of reruns, right? Yeah. Well, so. and, and Netflix was great for us for a while. Again, we're no longer a subscriber on Netflix either. But for a while, after Rachel and I got married, there were several TV shows we identified and some movies, but mostly TV shows that we wanted to watch through. And Netflix was great for that because you and, – and at the time, it was DVD only. At least I don't think they were – if they were doing streaming, we weren't paying any attention to it. Uh, but we would get, you know, a disc of usually there's four episodes on a disc of any given TV show, and you you get it and you watch it, you keep it for a couple of days, you send it back, and you get it. It was a great way for us to get through a couple of TV shows. A great old TV show that we loved was Remington Steel, mm. and we did that with Remington Steel. Um, so we enjoyed Netflix for that, but then after that, Netflix became useless to us because they don't have current TV shows for streaming or for disc um, until you know later, and we're we're trying to be a little more current on our TV shows. Or we are a little more current on our TV shows, I should say. And uh, so, yeah, Netflix was frustrating in that way. Uh, so Hulu kind of solved that problem for us for a while. But the problem with Hulu that we've experienced, speaking of just the streaming model and the difference between it and iTunes, with iTunes, you say, I want to rent. You click rent, and it starts downloading right now. And it, it so it essentially buffers the whole show, so you don't have to worry about internet problems or anything. You just start watching when you're ready. Now, the problem we've experienced, we've had this a lot with Hulu, and, and even when our internet on our side is doing great, sometimes we would run into problems where it would just choke and, and it wouldn't play the video. And the only thing I can figure out is that Hulu's servers were just a lot of people were trying to watch, and they were just overwhelmed. And so the iTunes model solves that problem. Mm. Mm. Anyway, so all these, all these, I mean, we're definitely in a growing period, yeah. and, and it's just not being helped. The growth is, is being inhibited by <sighs> these studios and content providers. So I I miss my blockbuster. I you know I I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on with uh, the Hobbit trailer. So you told me that there's some uh, new video footage that was released recently. Yeah, and this really is just a brief news item. That it, it's a re it's not a completely revamped trailer. It's just they added some stuff to it and re released the trailer. Um, mm. And I actually watched it and I couldn't spot a lot of new stuff. 
Oh, okay. um, and I, you know, it's just something to mention. And if anybody's interested, I, I'm getting a little more excited for The Hobbit. I was really turned off by the idea at first, and mostly because I'm a, I'm a filmmaker and I'm a geek, and I was really irritated by some of Peter Jackson's decisions for The Hobbit. Um, in terms of the technical, he was he's filming it at 48 frames per second, and um, I, I'm, uh, there's a reason why films are fr- filmed at 24 frames per second. Well, you, you may you may be right, but at least ways for most audiences that are going to watch it in theaters. Uh, when I when you watch the trailer, it looks the same as the video footage that you mm. got to see and experience from the Lord of the Rings series, doesn't mm. it? I can tell the difference. What? I can I, I can tell it looks more videoy. It, it looks like it's a shot at a higher frame. It looks too crisp. <clears throat> and okay. and I, I I mean that in a bad way. Like there's nothing wrong with having good sharp image but the, the, the i'm talking about the motion is too crisp you you know mm. the 24 frames per second has that quality to it i mean yeah i don't want to belabor this too much because a lot of the people that are listening to this aren't going to care I'm, I'm just a, a film nerd and a film geek and a filmmaker and i i, I really don't like it the, the whole 48 frames per second thing well i enjoyed the trailer and i think it looks absolutely <laughs> fine and i'm a filmmaker too but the, maybe that maybe uh maybe I just need my glasses or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm gonna go see it in the theater and I'm gonna try to keep an open mind. I was just really really turned off by the by the whole thing uh, initially. So we'll see. I'm I'm gonna see it and I'm gonna try to keep an open mind. And uh, I don't know. I might. I don't know if my local theater is gonna be showing it at 48 frames per second or not. I'm still undecided whether if they do, I would see it that way to see it the way it was intended to be seen or not. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Okay. All right. I think we're ready for the main topic. Okay, cool. So, Total Recall. Total Recall. TJ, what was this movie about? What was this movie about? Well, um... It has, it has something to do with uh, Mars, right? Exactly, It has yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. It has Arnold too. Schwarzenegger in it and uh, Sharon his, Stone. It's his return to the films after his governorship. Yeah, oh, no, wait. No, sorry. This is the wrong film. <laughs> sorry. No, that's the wrong one. Um, you know, the... Uh, I mean, we're, It's kind of hard to describe, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it, it kind of is. We, I mean, we kind of start out in this... Uh, we're given this kind of backstory of this post-apocalyptic world where there's only two inhabitable regions, um, you know, one, and they're kind of on opposite sides of the Earth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how we start out. Um, and, and, and you kind of, you, you kind of think, you know, what the film is about initially. Um, but you really don't, but, but you know, you really don't. I mean, cause it's, it's interesting because at first, you know, you see this dream and I think you think it's in some, somewhere in the back of my head. I know when I saw his dream and I realized it was a dream, I thought, I don't know, I bet that's not really a dream. I knew that much. Um, but I, I thought there was going to be more. I thought we were going to get to actually go inside Quaid's head in his when he got his memories, and that that didn't turn out to be part of the plot at all, because we no. never actually okay. got into his head that way. Um, so the way they used that part of the plot, I think, was very interesting. Yeah, so I, the story I, is a. Well, I just wanted to clarify for people who um, have never heard of Total Recall. It was originally a movie that was made in 1990, and it starred Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's an it's a sci-fi action thriller, and it has a little bit of a mystery to it. It was uh, based on a short story that was written by the same guy who wrote Minority Report. Yes. So if you're thinking about genres and style, 
the movie is in a similar vein to that sh- sort of genre. And so if you were if you enjoyed Minority Report, you'll probably enjoy this film also to some extent. Maybe a lesser extent. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Yeah, I would definitely say to a lesser extent the Minority Report, but it, you know, I still would enjoy it. Um yeah. and you know, I I I haven't seen Colin Farrell in a lot of movies, but uh, the movies I've seen him in, I've I've enjoyed the movies that he's been in. So especially one, I mean, the standout movie to me that he's been in is The Recruit. Have you seen mm. The Recruit? Not yet. You need to put that on your list to see, and we'll talk about it sometime. Because that that is a really great movie, and that's one of those movies. I don't know how well known it is. My wife found it in the video store not long after we were married. I think. Um, and anyway, I was unaware of the film and she brought it cause I told her, she asked me, what did you want me to get to watch? Uh, cause we were going to watch a movie that night. And I said, I don't know. Surprise me. She brought that home. And I looked at it like, nah, I don't know about this, but it was a really great movie. Huh. Al, pa- Al Pacino, Colin Farrell. Um, oh, I can never say her name. She was in iRobot. Um, Mon- Monahan. It's a weird spelling. So I don't know. Yeah, Monahan. Yeah. Is that's, it Monahan? That's the name. Yeah, okay. that's right. Um, yeah. So, uh, great movie. Um, and so I, I was, you know, certainly set my expectations for, uh, total recall when I saw that he was going to be in it. Mm. So, yeah. So the premise is, uh, Colin Farrell is the lead role of Douglas Quaid and he is a factory worker that uh, lives in this post-apocalyptic, um, colony that's, um, sort of in a, de- a great depression and, um, they struggle to get by, and this colony covers the the continent of Australia. And to go to work each day, he goes through sort of like a um, a subway train of sorts. But grant you, this has got some major sci-fi elements, so it's quite impossible. But essentially, this subway travels through the Earth's core up to the uh, the very prestigious, very uh, proper. Um, what did you say? Upper class society. Right. That is um, you, the United Federation of Britain or something like that. So it's on the opposite side of the world. The subway travels right through the Earth's core where he goes to work each day in a factory building the uh, robotic police for the Federation and for the colony. And these are the only two countries left in the entire world. The rest of the world is uh, covered by pollutions that were uh, caused by like the World War III scenario. Right. So something is something in the past for this story that is still future supposedly to happen. Something to happen. This is like at least a hundred years from now that this story takes place. Two thousand eighty-four, I believe. So not, not quite eighty-four. I thought I think that's what it was. So not quite a hundred years. Mm, okay. Well, that that seems similar to the timetable of Minority Report too. Yes, uh, it so does. There's a correlation there from the author, I guess. So Douglas Quaid, he works in a factory each day. He's bored with his life. Um, it's a very um, sad uh, sort of culture. And uh, he's just tired. He's bored of his monotonous work. And he's aware of this um, business called Recall, where they will give you really, really elaborate, epic, um, special memories. They'll implant memories into your head so, so that you fell like you actually experience those memories and have something to remember fondly. Mm-hmm. And so he's aware of this and he, he considers doing it. But at the same time, he's got an issue where he's having nightmares that make him think that he was once upon a time, a, 
a spy and somehow he lost his memory of a previous life where he was a spy. He doesn't understand what's going on. So he goes to recall wondering if they can help him recover his past memory as a spy when basically all hell breaks loose and he is um, he's fleeing from the law and uh, it unravels this great big conspiracy and uh, he's right in the middle of it and uh, he's got to choose his side. He doesn't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy and it gets it gets very complex very fast. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed too the way they, um, you know, one of the things Matthias says to, uh, he's a leader of the rebellion, one of the things he says to uh, Quaid, because Quaid's trying to recover his memory. He wants to remember who he is. And, and Matthias says, well, you know, that's, that's all well and good, but that, that, you know, let, let the present drive you, you know, do what's right now. You know, don't, don't do what's right or don't do what you, you know, don't do what you do because of your memory is or isn't there. I'm not, I'm not communicating this point well, but I really loved it. So I'm trying to communicate it um, yeah. Well, you, well yeah, frankly, what you're describing was the only good piece of um, of the the dialogue in, for the entire film it, that really stood out. Really? Very meaningful. You really think so? Uh, I think so. I, I can understand that the dialogue served its purpose the rest of the time, but this was the one time my ears perked up and I was like, "Oh, what is Math- Matthias saying?" And yeah. then when I heard what he had to say, I was like, "Hey, that's actually pretty. That's pretty smart. That's pretty insightful." It was, and and you know, there's you know the whole aspect of as Doug finds out who he kind of was, and and you kind of find out, you know, he really was a bad guy before he lost his memories, and he architected everything that had happened up to this point, at least to an extent, to bring down the rebellion, and and he realized that's not really what I want to be doing, you know. So I enjoyed that particular aspect of the plot. Well, you know. Um Let's let's talk a little bit more about the original, though, before we describe much more about the 2012 version. Okay. You saw Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger as well recently. So tell me about it. What was the, the major differences besides the entire cast and the campiness of the original film? Well, I mean, um, you know, Carl, Colin Farrell, he can act. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, no, nah, he can't. Uh, that's it in a nutshell. No, <laughs> <laughs> no really? Um no, I mean, there's major, I mean, it's to some extent, it's a similar plot, and then yet at the same time, it's so very different. The idea with... Uh, for one thing, though, for one major um, plot change, this film has nothing to do with Mars. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually what I was just about to say. Uh, the original, uh, the whole premise is um, Cohagen is an administrator of the planet Mars where he controls the air supply. And uh, that's kind of the premise. And and uh, Quaid was actually, and this is where it's similar. Quaid was working for Cohagen and had his memory wiped so that he could lead Cohagen to the rebellion. Now, Cohagen, he is the the arch enemy, right? He's like the villain of he the is. story. Is it, it right? Correct. The same as as the new as the to- 2012 Total Recall. He's just a, in a different position. He's the administrator, basically, of Mars. Um, uh. <clears throat> Right, instead of the Chancellor of the United Federation of Britain. So it's the same type of thing. So in those ways, the plots are similar. Um, certainly the way that the action unfolds is a lot different. I mean, the uh, you could say in a sense that the Schwarzenegger film was more, more brutal and more gritty and more, uh, um, how would you say, a, a lot more Schwarzenegger violence. I mean, he uses... Mm. He uses a uh, a human body as a shield. The, he, the the human in front of him gets shot 
well, now he's dead. He has no problem using him as a shield now. <laughs> he, you know, uh, so he, he uses him as a shield. The guy gets of shot course. to pieces. Um, so in that way, it's certainly a much more gory film. But at the same time, the violence is very uh, unrealistic. Um, very, the whole thing is very campy. Um, so it wasn't a realistic looking body that got riddled with bullets, huh? Um, boy, it's, it's so hard to describe it. Just, I think maybe because <laughs> it was so over the top, it was just so unrealistic. You just didn't buy it for a second. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, w- I have to wonder though, I haven't seen the original. So would you tell me it's worth passing up or should I watch it for, I don't know. Any reason? Is there any reason uh, to watch the original? <laughs> boy, I, you know, I really didn't like it that much. It, but again, it's not one of those films that, there's t- to me, there's two classes of bad films. There's the bad films where you want to beat your head in because you have to watch this film and, you, you know, everybody else in the room is watching it and it'd be rude of you not to watch it and it's a horrible film and you don't want to watch it. There's that class of bad film. And there's the bad film that, you know, you can kind of laugh at it and make fun of it and it's not so bad that you want to tear your eyeballs out. Um, that, that's in more of this category. Like if, if I, you know, if you want to watch it, you know, it's not going to make you want to kill yourself, but that's, that's about all I can say for it. Mm. So, yeah, I, I can't imagine that the film lives up to this one. That's for sure. No, I would, you know, the Schwarzenegger film, I'd give it maybe a two star. Uh, whereas this film, I gave it three and a half stars. So, okay. Well, while you're talking about stars, let me tell you what I would give it. Okay. Um, without watching the Schwarzenegger film, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'd probably give it one star, but it's not really worth mentioning, seeing as how I have nothing to base that on. Yeah. <laughs> the The new film, having watched it, having thought it through, I'm I'm really willing to give it just two out of five stars. Really? Well, tell us a little bit about that. Sounds okay, like you well, didn't enjoy it as much as I did. Right. Now, here's the thing. Films that waver close to averages, like, you know, two and a half star is is a completely neutral perspective towards a film. Mm-hmm. If, if, if a film, you, in your opinion, gets two and a half out of five stars, it means you didn't especially like it and you didn't especially dislike it. You just thought it was amusing, but maybe you could pass it up. Maybe you could watch it again. You don't really care. Sure. With a movie you'd give just two stars, it means that while you enjoyed something about it, frankly, there was more you disliked about it. So it's not like you would be heartbroken if you ever missed it again. And you would certainly n- attempt to avoid it. Um, and yet you would still enjoy it if you were in a situation with friends or someone else where you 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 kind of needed to watch it for the sake of uh, a social event. Yeah, uh, I could go along with that. I think the problem for it is that while all in all it is a huge improvement over the original it doesn't live up to my anticipations my expectations and it certainly did not impress me in any way um shape or form except by the visual effects hmm yeah does that make sense yeah no it makes sense we have differing perspectives but it makes sense um this is a film i intend to own when it comes out on uh, uh dvd or blu-ray or whatever uh, so I liked it a little better than that. Um, yeah, there's more that I could say about it, um, but I, I want to let you um, reflect a little bit more on the old film and how it compares to the new one, or if you just want to dive right into the new one, go ahead. No, I mean, we can reflect a little more on the old film. It was just such... Uh, what I guess what I was trying to say about the violence is it, it got cartoony. Um, you know, I wrote in the article a little bit about uh, how 
Uh, the director obviously had a penchant for seeing people's eyes pop out of their head. And the idea was that they were they were in this vacuum on Mars. They got sucked out of the environment, uh, or blown out, I guess is technically the correct term. Uh, they got blown out of the artificial environment and out into the vacuum of Mars. And so they're struggling for air, and their eyes get really big and start popping out, and their, their face just looks cartoony. I mean, it, that's just the sort of thing. It's just not realistic. Uh, not to mention, you, the hum, there's other things that happen to the human body besides just being deprived of oxygen when they're blown out <laughs> into a vacuum. <laughs> yeah, and if any of our audience has watched Battlestar Galactica, they know that. Uh, sure, of course. I mean, who hasn't watched Battlestar Galactica, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, it's just a very campy film and, and <clears throat> not one that I would purposefully watch again. And that is one of the reasons why there is something to this film that I like. And that, for one, is that it's not campy whatsoever. No, not at all. Uh, it, it takes itself uh, pretty seriously. Um, it's it's expected for you to watch it in a serious mind frame and not, and not a wink nod. Oh, this is, you know, this is violent and stuff, but uh, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger, so you can laugh kind of way. Um, well, know. on the topic of uh, seriousness and campiness, realism versus uh, hokiness, um, if, you, if you are to say that this film was taken seriously, um, you're right. And that might be one of the reasons I, I'm not too crazy about it is because it seemed to like it took itself too seriously. A little bit it too was, seriously, um, yeah. it, The pendulum swing, uh, swing? swung a lot in the other direction away from campiness. And in so doing, it took out any opportunity for humor that I can recall, <laughs> recall, <laughs> except for one moment. There was this one brief moment with a, a, um, a suggestion of something that was almost humorous. Besides that. Which moment was, was that, by the way? Uh, there was a moment where um, our, the, the protagonist finds that he has what's like a gadget embedded into the palm of his hand. Oh, yes, yes. So he rips it out of his hand because he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. He doesn't know how it got into his hand. Again, doesn't that remind you sort of of minority report type? Definitely. Oh, very <laughs> much devices? so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, he, and then he ends up giving it to a total stranger in the city. And that, that person really liked it. He, he, he thought that gadget was cool. And then um, someone comes along investigating the, the missing person. And uh, that stranger who now has this gadget – uh, claims that that belonged to him and it's all his because the stranger gave it to him and yeah. the interrogator uh, takes it and uh, crumples it to pieces and throws it away. <laughs> it was almost funny, but really it was just like the only reason I think it was, it came across as funny to be honest is because the rest of the film had nothing in the way of humor about it. And for a film like this to take itself so seriously, I don't know. Um, I had yeah. higher expectations for a film that takes itself this seriously. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that the film could have been better with a little bit more appropriate humor and not no humor at all, which is basically what we got. And then my, uh, my I guess my other complaint actually would be I didn't connect emotionally with the hero as much as I wanted to. Like the only time uh, I, I felt connected emotionally was toward the very end of the film when he's, uh, you know, he's finally you know, got what he, he he's, the, the, the plot's been fulfilled. You know, that was when I, that was when I really connected with him. And other than that, I didn't feel an emotional connection with the hero. And, and you kind of want more, I think, of a connection. 
You're absolutely right. And that was another one of the shortcomings I saw was that on the whole, the performances were not bad, but they were knives. They were just, oh, they were, they were kind of similar to comic book characters, you know, where they don't seem very realistic. And for a film that has so many other contrivances and sci-fi elements, you really want um, fleshed out human relatable characters. And because these weren't very human-like characters, because they were so intense, they were so always serious, they weren't very emotional, or at least ways they weren't you know, dynamically emotional. They, weren't, they didn't have a full range of motion, emotions. They came across as sort of like video game characters. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that kind of ties in with what I said about the villains earlier in my article today. Um, just, you know, you basically have two villains, Kate Beckinsale's character and... Uh, uh, Lori, Lori Quaid, which I couldn't, I, I know they named her, gave her another name after that charade was up, but uh, I couldn't find it on IMDb and I can't remember it. So anyway, Lori Quaid, uh, she was obviously the villain, and then uh, Chancellor Cohagen. But neither of those characters felt very fleshed out. You didn't know what drove them, and it just, especially uh, especially Kate Beckinsale's character, so it wound up just making her kind of a caricature of, uh, you know, she's, she's going to catch the bad guy no matter what, and we don't know why, and just kind of an automaton kind of a feel. No, you said Kate Beckinsale. Wasn't she? She's technically the bad guy, right? Yes, yes, correct. All right, sorry. Spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I think we should just get in the habit of doing that before we review a movie. <laughs> but to be honest, it's not a biggie because from the moment she enters the fir- her first scene, I kind of felt like, you know, there's really no explanation for this character except that she's a villain. <laughs> oh, well, I knew from the trailer she was a villain. Oh, yeah? I forgot yeah. how um, the characters were represented in the trailer. So I, I don't know if it was something I, I felt was implied or whether they stated explicitly, but I certainly knew Kate Beckinsale was a villain. Mm. So, Yeah, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more, though, about the performances. Okay. The villain, although he was a very interesting villain to an extent because you know he offered a lot of contrast, his, his emotional range was very different from all the other characters. I didn't appreciate Cohagen whatsoever. He 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 was essentially a cardboard cutout that walked around and talked. Yeah. He 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 was always the same. He always held the same expression. He always held the same attitude, like as though everything mattered equally to him and as though nothing ever phased him and he only had one emotion for his entire life. I mean it was just it was just weird. Yeah, I agree with that. And again, that's yeah, just not the, the the villains just weren't very well fleshed out. And and on his part, that that certainly even seemed like some bad acting, not just script problems. Now, in contrast to this, Bill Nighy, who was one of the main draws for me going to see this film, I looked forward to Bill Nighy's performance and his character. I kind of figured that he would be um, giving it a lot of added needed depth. And uh, for maybe a, a case in point. I'm thinking about is the mask of Zorro. If you remember the mask of Zorro, the old Zorro is passing the baton down to a new guy. He wants to take over his mantle. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the older Zorro is played by Anthony Hopkins. And then the younger Zorro is by Antonio Banderas. Banderas is a fun, uh, loving, cool, you know, thrill seeking type of guy in the movie. And so he makes one kind of action hero 
while Anthony Hopkins, who plays the older, wiser, mature mentor that is uh, retiring, he offers all of this emotional depth to the Mask of Zorro. He he's just a, he's a very well thought through uh, protagonist that has a a wide emotional range, and he he's well thought through. And I kind of hoped that Bill Nighy's character would be that for Total Recall, because so much of the other characters were very shallow characters with hardly any emotion, who were there mainly for either the cool factor or the intensity factor. Right. I thought. Okay, here's Bill Nighy. He's playing Matthias. He is the he is, he is it Matthias or Matthias. Uh, I thought it was Matthias, but maybe it was Matthias. Okay. I can't remember. Uh, yeah. So, um, so he he'll represent sort of the wise sage. He'll be somewhere between the old Zorro and Obi Wan Kenobi well, of the original trilogy, uh, Episode Four. And for the time he was on screen, he was. <laughs> Yeah, he was. I, I savored every every second he was on the screen. <laughs> yes. No. I, I that I I should have mentioned this in my article, but I just you know I find my brain doesn't always remember everything I want to put in my article. Yeah, he really dis. The, if he if they could have put him on film for a longer period of time, it would have been a better film. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, yeah. Totally messed up there. I mean, why would you not? bring a little more gravity since you're going for the seriousness anyway bring a little more gravity and bring in the old sage and and let bill nye be on screen a little bit longer (laughs) now how does that character that role compare in the um the original version (laughs) this is where the original gets really weird and interesting this is the major spoilers for the original if you've never seen it which come on it's a 1990 film (laughs) so um but just just in case anybody wants to be where this is a spoiler um there wasn't a Matthias. The name of the guy was Quato. But it was the same role, essentially, uh, in terms of its function in the plot. Um, Quato was the leader of the rebellion. But as it turns out, when he goes to meet Quato, Quato is a weird mutant living in the belly of another mutant. Uh, very strange, very odd. It was just very, uh, it was very comical, actually. And it was supposed to be a very serious thing. Like this, and the, he had this. He had some sort of power to read your mind and stuff, and it was it was very ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, just for that reason, I probably wouldn't want to watch the original. Oh, it was it was funny. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> if I could have been involved in the in the storytelling and had it anything to do with the script for Total Recall, I would have tried to see that Matthias lasted to the end. I agree. He, 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 you know, he, okay. Spoiler alert again. He dies, but, um, but I'm not going to tell you how he died. So really there's still some, there's still a reason for you, for you to watch this film. Yes. No, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. In fact, I think had I been in charge of the film, I would have wanted to see him introduced earlier, even, and I know that basically with the film, we don't stray too much from Doug Quaid's perspective. We do occasionally see things from Beckinsale's perspective, but most of the time we're with Doug. And so I think that's why they felt like they couldn't go off and see Matthias, and they wanted to keep it as somewhat of a mysterious element, but it failed so miserably that, they, that we should have inter- been introduced to Matthias earlier. And, mm-hmm. and he should yeah. have anchored the film a little more, and I don't think they should have killed him when they did. I do think that he should have died. 
just not then. Because um, you really don't get much of his influence on Quaid. And, and I felt like that influence needed to be there on Quaid a little bit more to kind of shape this blank slate that he is with his memories wiped. Right. That, that to me, would have made a better film. I, that would have made it a four-star film instead of three and a half. <laughs> right. Um, while we're talking about the uh, the things we liked and disliked, I want to just run through a few of these real quick. And you tell me if any of these are something you want to talk a bit further about. Okay. Um, for one thing, I thought this was a very cool movie. It's sort of like a fun roller coaster ride. Yes. That's one thing I thought was going in its favor. And mm-hmm. if there was ever a reason to watch it again, that is one of them. That it's a it's a movie for guys that like movies type film. Yeah, it's and, very uh, just uh, for an action it, film. It felt very well paced to me for the most yeah. part. Okay, another thing I liked about the film were, was the visual effects, the locales, and the cinematography. Mm-hmm. While the cinematography wasn't very complex, the locales and the visual effects were over the top, and and even so, they really work. And the cinematography did a good job of capturing the scale, giving you an appreciation for enormous, uh, you know, uh, expanses. And then at other times, the claustrophobic experience that you would get from a very compact space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I completely agree with that sentiment. I, I would say um, that the technical prowess and the... Uh, cinematography all of it was just off the off the charts very well done of course though we all know though uh, a very technically well-made f- uh, film doesn't necessarily make a good film no not necessarily <laughs> but, but still as far as like the technical was concerned this film outdoes a lot of other action films absolutely um and you know in in that regard a lot of action films are um sort of on a tipping point there are a lot of these directors that still want to use all live action whenever possible mm-hmm. and they avoid um special effects and visual effects um special effects are those things that you do while filming where you created something that ordinarily wouldn't be possible so you create an illusion or something on the set to give the impression that a bomb explosion, for instance, is much larger than it actually is. Sure. Or you have not a real person jumping off of a ten-story building. You just had, uh, you know, like a mannequin, you know, <laughs> falling off of a building or something. Let's say like that. That's a special effect. The visual effects are those things that are done in post with um, CGI and computer graphics and what have you. Mm-hmm. I felt like they were very much on the money. In this film, and um, it seemed like the director totally embraced those uh, visual effects that could ha- enhance this picture from from start to finish. Yes, I, I really enjoyed the the way the film started, uh, giving you a little bit of uh, the backstory to the film before it progressed, and the visual of Planet Earth. And uh, you just have to see it to understand. It looks like um, you're sort of viewing Earth in night vision in a hologram. And then it shows how the territory territories that were uh, civilized and occupied and thriving on Earth changed drastically through the the Third World War. Perhaps that's why you didn't like the film very well, is because that that opening scene raised your expectations so high. And I agree, it was a I loved the way the film opened. Yeah, in fact, it was like the only moment that really seemed emotional and reflective. Um, very reflective on itself was that opening piece where you just saw a short description of what happened leading up to the story and they have this graphic of the world and they show how the uh, the fall 
um, subway train or vessel <laughs> worked by going up and down through the planet core. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was very gripping. It was very stirring. And even the soundtrack, that one moment had a, had something to it. It was kind of compelling. It drew, it drew me into the story. And then the rest of the film didn't live up to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of the fall, isn't that such a great name? I mean, how long did they sit around and come up with that name? Oh my, I mean, what kind of, what kind of magic is this? <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's wow. horrible. <laughs> Well, I, you know, it sounds like something straight up from one of the cheesier um, uh, Star Trek films. No, it, come on. <laughs> no, it's pretty bad. Um, it works for, for what it was doing. Okay, maybe I'm not thinking Star Trek. Maybe I'm thinking video game again. Um, yeah, it, I was going to say, you're, very you're, you're blaspheming here. Something less than movie worthy. Yeah, you're, you're treading into my blasphemy territory. <sighs> I'm sorry. There, there are two films in the Star Trek that you're allowed to make fun of, and that's the first one and the fifth one. Other than that, you're not allowed to make fun of Star Trek. Okay, what else no you got? Other. Okay, for the rest of my dislikes, the story, while it has a it has a lot of potential, the story is super shallow, and because the acting was so poor, it didn't really carry a very shallow story, and so that We're, was kind of lame. And again, whoa, 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 whoa. Back, back it just up, reminded up. me of uh, video games. Back up, back up. What? Where was the acting poor? Uh, just kind of flat. You know, just um, the few times that it got emotional or the few times it reflected on the character's motivations, it quickly moved on. Or it was way too predictable what was going to happen next. Or, uh, well, frankly, the lead role uh, played by Colin Farrell, he does a... Uh, he doesn't a uh, very flat portrayal of Douglas Quaid. Hmm. I didn't feel he, that. He's, he's very, uh, you, you couldn't connect to him. Uh, I couldn't connect to him emotionally. Um, so that, that, that's, I'm sorry, but that's, that's why I say the story was weak. It's just very weak. Okay. Uh, I, it wasn't I, bad. It was just very weak. I think the story weaknesses have more to do with the script and less to do with the acting, but that's just me. Hmm. Okay, uh, uh, the one thing that was technical that I disliked about the entirety of it. So did you notice that the pistols, anytime they picked up a weapon and they were shooting, it created this very distinct sound effect of a pshaw, pshaw. And then it was, it didn't look like anything had gone off. Hmm, I didn't notice that. Um, it just, yeah, anytime you saw the police or the spies using a handgun, it, it didn't look like it was actually firing. Hmm. Um. Which was in stark contrast to the fact that most every visual effect or, or special effect really, really worked for me. Then, uh, okay, uh, as far as story is concerned, I think it would have been a really cool plot device if they had been able to keep Mars in the story. It would have been very ambitious, but had it worked, it would have paid off several dividends. It would have made up for several of other shortcomings. I think that I would have been fascinated by how the film could have seen some opportunities there um, just to make it a compelling, uh, oh, wow, um, a greater triumphant modernization of the Arnold Schwarzenegger edition. Yeah, I don't know how that would work with the way they structured the plot, but... Yeah, I, I, think, they, I think they would have to make some other accommodations for it, but it would have been nice to have seen Mars. Hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, and perhaps, I'm sorry, I have so many dislikes, but I do. Um, two more. The, uh, 
Recall is this uh, business that helps the protagonist trigger his memories of his spy life. And I felt like while it was interesting, it had a very weak setup and a very weak payoff by the end of the film. It, it was sort of gimmicky, especially by the end. Like, it really... You know how... Uh, well, th- I'm thinking about Vertigo now. In Vertigo, the protagonist has Vertigo. And it actually has very little to do with the entire story. Um, except for when he is on rooftops and climbing bell towers. And when it does come into the story, it makes a very... It takes a very important role in the story. And in the movie Vertigo, the detective, the retired detective, he, he really seems to have realistic vertigo. And it doesn't happen very often. It, it's, it doesn't take um, center stage very often in the film. But when it does happen, it makes a very relevant effect to the entirety of the story. Whereas with Recall and this setup that, oh, is he... Is he actually just, you know, imagining these things that are taking place or are they actually happening? You know, we don't know. Um, It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't very, I don't know. I thought it could have been told better so that the recall um, scenario, whether or not he was really experiencing these things or if these were um, just his wild imaginations, you know, running rampant, I thought they could have done a better job. Hmm. I didn't feel that way about the recall aspect. Um, and I, I actually kind of enjoyed that it was a little bit of a misdirection where, you know, you you think because this company is called Recall and the film is called Total Recall, well, there's going to be a more prominent part. But really, the purpose of Recall, uh, well, yes, it did serve the purpose of it, during the scene where um, <clears throat> Harry is trying to convince Vince him that it's all happening in his head. It did serve that purpose, but it also served the purpose to say, hey, there, there's technology going on here that alters your memories. Um, and, and that really, to me, served its purpose well. And I didn't, you know, I felt like to, to go further with Recall would have been to belabor it a little bit, but that's just mm. me. So okay. we, we have difference of opinion here. Yeah, that's a good thing. I would hate for you to just agree with me and nod your head. I mean, no, then you, I could just do this podcast with a bobblehead and who needs <laughs> TJ? So. <laughs> Um, yeah. And my last point of, um, dislike is that the good guy, um, our protagonist, for the most part, he always gets what he wants. There's only two very critical moments in the film that I can think of where he failed to accomplish what he set out to do. And if those had not happened, then there wouldn't have been a story or there would not have been an ending. The rest of the film which is a wild ride, kind of like a roller coaster. Everything went okay. Ultimately, he has some major threats. He has some major challenges, but everything worked out. And mm. it, it just seems too convenient. Like some more bad things should have happened. He, uh, he should have had some, you know, he should have lost a battle here or there. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a fair observation. And the only reason that really matters to me is because uh, well, how would I put it? It made me think that I ne- I never wondered to myself if the good guy would win or not. It never seemed like it was ever really a challenge to him. Hmm. Kind of like a video game that he had already played a hundred times. And although it's fun, he already knew what to anticipate. 
And it's like, really? You know, just grant you that's not what's actually happening in the film. These are new challenges and some of these problems are huge and everything works out. It's just like, really? Okay. (laughs) So, okay. So that's, that's all I've got. I'm done, TJ. Okay. Moving well, on. No more do no more gloominess. Yeah, I think no I'm done criticism. too. I mean, and this is, you know, try to keep the length of the podcast down a little bit this week. Although, okay, there was one more thing I wanted to talk about. Did you notice any difference between this film and any other films in terms of the look or feel or how it was shot or did you notice anything about it? No. I didn't either. So I was really surprised when we got to the end of the film, and I always stay for the credits, and I, I did, and I waited, and at the very end it says shot on red. I was like, really? That's huh. very interesting, because I've always maintained that, um, yeah, you can you can get good technical quality with, with digital and stuff, but it's just not going to have the same aesthetic appeal as film. And apparently I could be wrong about that because I didn't notice it wasn't shot on film. Now, maybe if I go back and look at it knowing that, I could find the differences. But the point is I didn't see the differences without knowing it. So what is RED? RED is uh, all digital camera. There's no film involved. Um, I'm assuming they probably shot it on a – I'm assuming they shot it at 4K or maybe my knowledge is out of date on RED cameras because those are way out of my uh, league as a filmmaker. Very expensive. Um, very expensive cameras, but uh, yeah, all digital, no film involved, no no celluloid at all. Hmm. So it was very interesting. Wow. The only other films that I know for sure were shot all digitally, uh, interestingly enough, were the uh, the Star Wars prequels, um, and uh, you know that was a long time ago. And I, you know, most films are still shot on thirty five millimeter film. Hmm. So I, I thought that was very interesting and. Uh, you know, I knew at some point it's inevitable that as everything goes digital that we're going to get there, but uh Oh yeah. You know, yeah, it's inevitable. Probably by that time the uh the red camera will be old hat. Sure. Last uh noteworthy item I wanted to mention was that the budget was 138 million. Yes. And to the present it has grossed 25.6 million. Uh I think current figure says 32. Million. Oh, 32. I oh, believe. Well, we gained a couple of oh, million well, okay. in the last few hours. Yeah, this, this, is, uh, this is Wikipedia, the, the source of all knowledge, as we know. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm going <laughs> by wrong. Rotten Tomatoes. Sorry, but yeah. uh, I'm going to take Rotten Tomatoes over Wikipedia. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I wonder where the 30-some-odd um, million figure came from. Not sure. Wait. Um, Maybe it's a, a prediction. Maybe somebody it could can be. fill that in. Let's see. No, it has a citation. Let's see. Official gross box office mojo. Oh, okay. So that's well, and and I, okay. I assume I assume this uh, Wikipedia article is being updated as things progress because that's a pretty recent figure. Oh yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that the box office um, results on Rotten Tomatoes are probably older than those by Box Office Mojo. So yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, for a little comparison, though, the budget of 138 million is not a far cry from iRobot. Now, do you remember iRobot, which oh, stars Will Smith? Great film. Yeah. Now, that film was made a number of years ago. Great film, fun film, similar scale, a similar epic quality, a lot of action, and altogether, a film I appreciate more than Total Recall. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But Total Recall, a budget of $138 million, and iRobot, a budget of $120 million. Yeah. So, for a little comparison, I thought they got a lot more 
for an extra 18 million. Yeah. In terms of visual style, look and feel, everything on screen, its presence was much better in Total Recall than it was in iRobot. Yeah, and that probably has a lot to do with the technology available today. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. the iRobot is similarly driven by a futuristic look and, tech and feel and a lot of CGI, and it was a much younger, uh, you know, a lot, lot less capable back then. So, yeah. Now, just as a as an exercise, um, what rating, what kind of a star rating would you give iRobot compared to Total Recall? Mm, iRobot, I'd give four solid stars. Okay, I was going to say four and a half. So we're we're on a similar page on that. Um, I guess the reason why I would not give it four and a half would be for one, it's not as good as some of my other favorite films. Um, but in particular, there are some specific characteristics that i dislike such and that's as? probably what pulls it back just briefly such as i didn't like some of the side characters and i thought that the robots could have been done better and the climax was a bit hokey okay well we can you know we can agree to disagree on that but uh but we're in we're in a you know we're in a similar place on the rating so it's not all bad Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, James Cromwell. How can you go wrong? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Can't go wrong. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, all um, right. So, TJ, what should people look forward to for next week's podcast? We are going to talk about the Born Legacy. I am. I'm going to be out of town uh, on a film uh, shoot, actually, for a wedding. So, uh, we're going to be doing the. I'm going to be doing the podcast from uh, Peoria, Illinois. So, hopefully, I'll be able to find a good internet connection. And I'm probably not going to get to see the film until Monday, unfortunately. Uh, just because I'm going to be working over the weekend. So, Born Legacy. Um, I actually started watching the original trilogy um, just to get that back fresh in my head. Uh, I don't know how relevant that will be. Uh, they did re- they do reference it a lot in the trailer. So, um, mm. you know, and and you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think for a couple of shows, I've mentioned uh, the the whole shaky cam phenomenon. Got it start with uh, the Born. Uh, the Bourne series, and I was interested to see that that's not as prevalent as I remember in the Bourne identity, anyway. Yes, hopefully that phenomenon will end with the Bourne legacy. Well, we'll see, but but my point is, uh, my memory is off, because I had thought the whole Bourne series was that way, and I really didn't feel a lot of shaky cam phenomenon going on in the Bourne identity. No, um, it's not so much in the Bourne identity as it is in the Bourne supremacy. Okay, alright, well I'll be looking for that then. Uh, so yeah, but it was fun to watch that again. It's It's been probably a couple of years since I've seen it. So, uh, hmm. it was fun. I love those films. They're, yeah. they're, they're worth watching at least once a they year. They really are great films. Now, what's interesting to me though, is the music is not as good as I remember. <laughs> I, I did not enjoy the music that much in the born identity. Yeah. And I found myself buying the soundtracks and then listening to them without the film. They're not as good of an experience. Oh, so they're even worse without the film. Yeah. yeah I mean, basically, yeah. you've got the main theme, and, and I really like the main theme. It's a really great theme. But then other than that, the music really didn't work as well as I remembered at all. So I was I was kind of disappointed in that. So mm. that's, that's unfortunate. I'll have to see how – like I said, I've only watched Born Identity. If I get this edited and this podcast edited in time, I may watch uh, Born uh, – what's the next one? The Born uh, Supremacy? No, Bo- uh, yeah, Born Supremacy. Born Legacy. One. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, so I may watch that one tonight. We'll see if I have time for that. So yeah, that's what we have to look forward to. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat excited about Born Legacy. Uh, I posted earlier today the uh, video from Funny or Die. Uh, did you get a chance to see that? 
No, but I am looking forward to it. I'm going to watch it as soon as we're down <laughs> here. I'll put that in the show notes. Show notes, by the way, are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast. That's M as in mother, B as in boy, mbpodcast slash four, because this is our fourth episode. So that's where you find the show notes. And I'll put this uh, put this in there. This is a, a, a spoof on the trailer, and it actually uses a lot of footage from the trailer, and it dubs voiceover and even matches the lip movement where it can. It's it's really funny. <laughs> I won't spoil it for you. Go watch it. But it's it's a it's a spoof on the born born uh, born legacy trailer. Mm, so cool. All, All right. right. Thanks, TJ. I had a lot of fun. You have you anything have a good else? Trip. No, no, not really. All right. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll try to have a good trip, and we'll hopefully report record the podcast uh, on our same schedule. So uh, if people want to get uh, see what you do on the internet, where can they find you at? I have a website. It's jivingjackalope.com. And if they wanted to connect with me on Twitter, I'm Joseph Darnell there. And I'm also available on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Joseph Darnell. Yeah, if you want to slum it on Facebook, sure. Um, yeah, and I, uh, I have a website as well, buzzingpixel.com. Uh, it's where you can find where I write about uh, technology, things, uh, all things Apple and uh, other related technologies. Uh, writing a lot for moviebyte.com, so... Be sure to come and interact with us on the comments on Movie Bite. We're, we want to keep it from being a ghost town. And yes, uh, then you can also find me on Twitter, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Right, and uh, we'd also like to ask you uh, to rate the podcast in iTunes. That helps uh, the visibility of the podcast and uh, hopefully helps people to find it if they're interested in movie podcasts. We'd really like to uh, to get that out there for people. So if you feel so inclined, please go and rate us in iTunes. Uh, if you like the podcast, if you don't, pretend we didn't say that. All right. <laughs> Well, I think that uh, wraps this one up. Uh, Thank you for your uh, thoughtful opinions on this movie, Joseph. My pleasure, TJ. You have a good night. All right, you too.